0: Part 4 of The Jewel of Baz by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 4 Through a swimming rainbow haze, Ciaran saw the relaxed, dull faces of the slaves. You are nothing. You are no one. You exist only to serve. To work, to obey, do you hear and understand?" The line of humans swayed and made a small moaning sigh. It held nothing but amazement and desire. They repeated the litany through thick animal mouths. "'Your minds are open to mine. You will hear my thoughts.' Once told, you will not forget. You will feel hunger and thirst, but not weariness. You will have no need to stop and rest or sleep." Again the litany. Ciarán passed a hand over his face. He was sweating. In spite of himself, the light and the soulless mesmeric voice were getting him. He hid his own jaw with his knuckles, thanking whatever gods there were that the source of the light had been hidden from him. He knew he could never have bucked it. More perhaps of the power of the Stone of Destiny? A sudden sharp rattle of fragments brought his attention to the scrap heap. The hermit was already halfway over it, and Mouse was right at his heels. Ciron went after her. The rubble slipped and slid, and she was already out of reach. He called her name in desperation. She didn't hear him. She was hungry for the light. Ciaran flung himself bodily over the rubbish. Out on the floor the nearest calls were shaking off their days of worship. The hermit was scrambling on all fours like a huge gray cat. Mouse's crimson tunic stayed just out of reach. Ciaran threw a handful of metal fragments at her back. She turned her head and snarled at him. She didn't see him. Almost in an automatic reflex, she hurled some stuff at his face, but she didn't even slow down. The hermit cried out a high, eerie scream. A huge hand closed on Ciaran's ankle and hauled him back. He fought it, jabbing with the wand he still carried. A second remorseless hand prisoned his wrist. The Red Hunter said dispassionately, "'They come. We go.' "'Mouse! Let me go, damn you! Mouse!' "'You can't help her. We go. Quick!' Sieron went on kicking and thrashing. The Hunter banged him over the ear with an exquisite judgment took the wand out of his limp hand and tossed him over one vast shoulder. The light hadn't affected the hunter much. He'd been in deeper shadow than the others, and his half-animal nerves had warmed him quicker even than Ciaran's. Being a wise, wild thing, he had shut his eyes at once. He doubled behind the metal sheds and began to run in dense shadow. Ciarán heard and felt things from a great misty distance. He heard the hermit yell again, a crazy votive cry of worship. He felt the painful jarring of his body and smelled the animal rankness of the hunter. He heard Mouse scream just once. He tried to move to get up and do something. The hunter slammed him hard across the kidneys. ciaran was aware briefly that the lights were coming on again. After that it got very dark and very quiet. The hunter breathed in his ear. Quiet. Don't move. There wasn't much chance of Ceyron doing anything. The hunter lay on top of him with one freckled paw covering most of his face. Ceyron gasped and rolled his eyes. They lay in a troughed niche of rough stone. There was black shadow on them from an overhang, but the blue glare burned beyond it. Even as he watched it dimmed and flickered, and then steadied again. High up over his head the shining metal monster reached for the roof of the cavern. It had grown. It had grown enormously, and a mechanism was taking shape inside it. A maze of delicate rods and crystal prisms, of wheels and balances and things Ciaran hadn't any name for. Then he remembered about mouse, and nothing else mattered. The hunter lay on him, crushing him to silence. Ciaran's blue eyes blazed. He'd have killed the hunter then, if there had been any way to do it. There wasn't. Presently he stopped fighting. Again the Red Giant breathed in his ear. Look over the edge. He took his hand away. Very, very quietly Ciaran raised his head a few inches and looked over. Their niche was some fifteen feet above the floor of the pit. Below and to the right was the mouth of a square tunnel. The crowded, sweating confusion of the forges and workshops spread out before them, with people swarming like ants after a rain. Standing at the tunnel mouth were two creatures in shining metal sheaths, the androids of Bas the Immortal. Their clear, light voices rose up to where Ciaran and the hunter lay. Did you find out? Failing, as we judged, Otherwise no change. No change. One of the slim unhumans turned and looked with its depthless black eyes at the soaring metal giant. If we can only finish it in time. The other said, We can, Kahafri. We must. Kahafri made a quick, impatient gesture. We need more slaves. These human cattle are frail. You drive them and they die. The calls are doing what they can. Two more chains have just come, but it's still not enough to be safe. I told the beasts to raid further in, even to the border cities, if they have to. It won't help if the humans attack us before we're done. Kahafri laughed. There was nothing pleasant or remotely humorous about it. If they could track the calls this far, we could handle them easily. After we're finished, of course, they'll be subjugated anyway." The other nodded. faintly uneasy, it said, "'If we finish in time—if we don't—if we don't,' said Kahafri, "'none of it matters—to them, or us, or the immortal Baas. Something that might have been a shudder passed over its shining body. Then it threw back its head and laughed again, high and clear. But we will finish it, Stood. We're unique in the universe, and nothing can stop us. This means the end of boredom, of servitude and imprisonment. With this world in our hands nothing can stop us. Stood whispered, "'Nothing!' Then they moved away, disappearing into the seething clamor of the floor. The Red Hunter said, "'What were they talking about?' Ciaran shook his head. His eyes were hard and curiously remote. "'I don't know.' "'I don't like the smell of it, little man. It's bad.' "'Yeah.' Ciaran's voice was very steady. What happened to Mouse? "'She was taken with the others. Believe me, little man, I had to do what I did or they'd have taken you, too. There was nothing you could do to help her.' "'She followed the light.' "'I think so, but I had to run fast.' There was a mist over Ciaran's sight. His heart was slugging him. Not because he particularly cared, he asked. How did we get away? I thought I saw the big lights come on." They did, and then they went off again all of a sudden. They weren't expecting it. I had a head start. The gray beasts hunt by scent, but in that stewpot there are too many scents. They lost us, and when the lights came on again I saw this niche, and managed to climb to it without being seen. He looked out over the floor, scratching his red beard. I think they're too busy to bother about two people—no, three, he chuckled. (laughs) The hermit got away too. He ran past me in the dark, screaming like an ape about revelations and the light. Maybe they've got him again by now. Ciaran wasn't worried about the hermit. Subjugation, he said slowly. With this world in their hands nothing can stop them. He looked out across the floor of the pit. No guards. You didn't need any guards when you had a weapon like that light. Frail human cattle driven till they died, and not knowing about it nor caring. The world in their hands, an empty shell for them to play with, to use as they wanted. No more marketplaces, no more taverns, no more songs, no more little people living their little lives the way they wanted to. Just slaves with blank faces, herded by gray beasts with shining wands, and held by the androids' light. He didn't know why the androids wanted the world, or what they were going to do with it. He only knew that the whole thing made him sick, sick all through in a way he'd never felt before. The fact that what he was going to do was hopeless and crazy never occurred to him. Nothing occurred to him, except that somewhere in that seething slave-pen Mouse was laboring, with eyes that didn't see and a brain that was only an open channel for orders. Pretty soon, like the woman up on the girder, she was going to hit her limit and die. Siron said abruptly, "'If you wanted to kill a snake, what would you do?' "'Cut off its head, of course.' Ceyron got his feet under him. "'The Stone of Destiny,' he whispered. "'The power of life and death. Do you believe in legends?' The hunter shrugged. "'I believe in my hands. They're all I know.' "'I'm going to need your hands to help me break one legend and build another.' They're yours, little man. Where do we go? Down that tunnel. Because if I'm not clear off, that leads to Ben Beatha. And Baas the Immortal. And the stone. Almost as though it were a signal, the blue glare dimmed and flickered. In the semi darkness, Ciaran and the hunter dropped down from the niche and went into the tunnel. It was dark. With only a tiny spot of blue radiance at wide intervals along the walls. They had gone quite a distance before they strengthened to their normal brightness, and even then it was fairly dark. It seemed to be deserted. The hunter stopped to listen. When Sieron asked irritably what was wrong, he said I think there's someone behind us. I'm not sure. Well, give him a jab with the wand if he gets too close. Hurry up. The tunnel led straight toward Ben Beatha, judging from its position in the pit. Ciaran was almost running when the hunter caught his shoulder urgently. Wait, there's movement up ahead. He motioned Ciaran down. On their hands and knees they crawled forward, holding their wands ready. A slight bend in the tunnel revealed a fork. One arm ran straight ahead. The other bent sharply upward toward the surface. There were four calls crouched on the rock between them, playing some obscure game with human finger bones. Ciaran got his weight over his toes and moved fast. The hunter went beside him. Neither of them made a sound. The calls were intent on their game and not expecting trouble. The two men might have got away with it only that suddenly from behind them someone screamed like an angry cat. Ciarán's head jerked around just long enough to let him see the hermit standing in the tunnel, with his stringy arms lifted and his grey hair flying, and the light of pure insanity blazing in his pale eyes. "'Evil!' he shrieked. "'You are evil to defy the light and the servants of the light.' He seemed to have forgotten all about calling the calls demons a little while before. The grey beasts leaped up, moving quickly with their wands ready. Ciron yelled with sheer fury. He went for them, the rags of his yellow tunic streaming. He wasn't quite clear about what happened after that. There was a lot of motion, grey bodies leaping and twisting, and jewel tips flashing. Something flicked him stunningly across the temple. He fought in a sort of detached fog where everything was blurred and distant. The hermit went on screaming about evil and the light. The hunter bellowed a couple of times, things thudded and crashed, and once Ciron poked his wand straight into a blood-pink eye. Sometime right after that there was a confused rush of running feet back in the tunnel. The hunter was down and Ciron found himself running up the incline because the other way was suddenly choked with calls. He got away. He was never sure how. Possibly instinct warned him to go in time, so that, in the confusion, he was out of sight before the reinforcements saw him. Three of the original calls were down, and the fourth was busy with the hermit. Anyway, for the moment, he made it. When he staggered finally from the mouth of the ramp, drenched with sweat and gasping, he was back on the Forbidden Plain, and Ben Beatha towered above him, a great golden titan reaching for the red sky. The tumbled yellow rock on its steep slopes was barren of any growing thing. There were no signs of buildings or anything built by hands, human or otherwise. High up, Almost in the apex of the triangular peak was a square, balconied opening that might have been only a wind-eroded niche in the cliff face. Ciaran stood on wide-spread legs, studying the mountain with sullen, stubborn eyes. He believed in legend now. It was all he believed in. Somewhere under the golden peak was the Stone of Destiny and the demigod who was its master. Behind him were the creatures of that demigod, and the monster they were building, and a little black-haired mouse who was going to die unless something was done about it. A lot of other people, too. A whole sane, comfortable world. But Mouse was about all he could handle just then. He wasn't see around the board any longer. He wasn't a human attached to a normal human world. He moved in a strange land of gods and demons, where everything was as mad as a drunkard's nightmare, and Mouse was the only thing that held him at all to the memory of a life wherein men and women fought and laughed and loved. His scarred mouth twitched and tightened. He started off across the rolling barren rise to Ben Beatha, a tough, bandy legged little man in yellow rags, with a brown expressionless face and a forgotten harp slung between his shoulders, moving at a steady gypsy lope. A wind sighed over the Forbidden Plain, rolling the sun balls in the red sky, and then from the crest of Ben Beathah the darkness came. This time Ciron didn't stop to be afraid. There was nothing left inside him to be afraid with. He remembered the hermit's words. Judgment, great things moving, doom and destruction, a shadow across the world, a darkness and a dying. Something of the same feeling came to him, but he wasn't human any longer. He was beyond fear. Fate moved, and he was part of it. Stones and shale tricked his feet in the darkness. All across the Forbidden Plain there was night, and a wailing wind, and a sharp chill of cold. Far, far away, there was a faint red glow in the sky, where the sea burned with its own fire. Ciaran went on. Overhead, then, the sunballs began to flicker. Little striving ripples of light went out across them, lighting the barrens with an eerie witch glow. The flickering was worse than the darkness. It was like the last struggling pulse of a dying man's heart. Ciaran was aware of a coldness in him beyond the chill of the wind. A shadow across the world, a darkness and a dying. He began to climb Ben Beatha. End of part four.